Hello and welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis and Clark. This week we're adding a different spin on things as we look to further expand the nature of the content by getting a good variety of guests onto the podcast. As always, if you see it on Instagram at A Wee Bit of Everything Podcast or Twitter at Burrow underscore Mr. McClelland Lewis 94, we would appreciate it if you could give us a share or a retweet as this helps us to get the podcast out there so others can listen as well. So, what's in store today? This week we are joined by Blaine McKenna. Blaine specialises in football coaching and currently works abroad in Thailand. Blaine holds the UEFA A licence coaching badge and has achieved a Masters in Science in Sports Psychology. The Northern Irishman has coached in 11 countries on five continents. We are going to hear firsthand about his successes and challenges throughout his career. Blaine will offer his personal advice for his aspiring other coaches out there. Blaine started his career with Arsenal Soccer School in Kuwait and then moved to China Club Football in Beijing and became the academy director of Ubon United, who played in the Thai top flight. He recruited over 100 players for clubs in Asia, including 15 girls in Kuwait, where there were already none. Other highlights at the club include, include implementing a philosophy throughout the academy and creating four new teams to provide a clear pathway for all young players which resulted in players breaking into the first team. Blaine developed a scholarship programme as well, which encouraged, encouraged academic achievement, road safety, and saw the academy's first residential programme with players loving and going to school together. Blaine believes success is seeing young people continuing to play into adulthood. He's been fortunate enough to see young players he coached signing professional contracts and making first team debuts. This is something that Blaine thinks is lovely to see. It's also great receiving messages uh, and bumping into them years later, he said, and seeing how they're getting on. It's lovely to see them doing well, whether that's in football or outside the world of football. So that's a wee bit about Blaine and his career so far. So I think it's about time we get Blaine to join A Wee Bit of Everything. Right, Blaine, welcome to A Wee Bit of Everything. Thanks for uh, giving your time up today to join the podcast. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Um, well, we'll get, we'll get started then. So diving right into it. Uh, could you give us and the listeners a bit, of, a, a bit of background information about yourself and then maybe a wee bit about your career as well? Yeah, so basically I've, I've played football from as early as I could walk. I was always walking around kicking balloons and things. So throughout my childhood and in my teens, I was basically playing football every day. That was my sort of one, one true love. And then what ended up happening was I suffered a few injuries. So then that kind of sent me down the academic route. So that's kind of what I knew my future would be. And I went on work experience with the Irish Football Association when I was 15. And that was kind of the first real break in the sport that realized that this could be a career outside being a professional player. And then from there, I went on to university to study a sports science degree. And then the real light bulb moment was at the end of my first year. And we were able to go and coach in the States for the summer. Because the real big thing about that was that in Northern Ireland, there weren't very many real coaching opportunities like in the first year at university when we went in everyone's hand went up and said they wanted to be a PE teacher because that was sort of the real career you see from sports science degrees whereas there weren't many outside of the professional game there weren't many role models for coaches because social media wasn't massive and things back then and there weren't many wasn't as much limelight for people outside the professional game so going to America seeing what opportunities were available traveling all over America and in Canada this kind of sparked my interest for traveling too. So that made me realize that I wanted to coach abroad. So that's when I set my goal that I was going to coach in five countries. 
So when I came back, I finished my sports science degree. Then I did a master's degree in sports psychology. And then two days after presenting my research, I flew out to Kuwait in the Middle East to work for Arsenal soccer schools. And then since then, I've worked in Beijing, New Zealand, Singapore, Thailand, China, all sorts of different places, Malawi, South Africa. So it's been a real enlightening experience. So obviously, I've been developing my honing my craft throughout that time as well. But then I've also been learning about life with different cultures and that there's a whole big world outside of sport that's almost it's more meaningful to people. So it's been quite, a, quite an interesting journey. I've learned, learned a lot from it. Yeah, it sounds as if you've been a busy man over the past few years so uh, what was your kind of first spark into the coaching then was it was it when you decided to go abroad did, did you really enjoy it over in the USA and Canada yeah well that was that was a big part of it but it was whenever I started suffering my injuries and things I started coaching alongside because in Northern Ireland if you don't make it across the water when you're 16 to professional clubs you kind of you kind of thought the dream was over so I started coaching alongside it whereas things kind of changed now there's more there's some players making it from Irish League in the professional game but in my head, I was never going to make it at the level I wanted to. So I went back and I started working with good coaches that coached me because I played for some quite good clubs in Northern Ireland. So that was where my real grounding started. And then when I was able to go uh, to America that summer, I realized it was a, it was a real career and there'd be opportunities to make it a career where I could travel and also enjoy coaching at the same time, which, which for me was the, the perfect balance. Sounds like you've got the perfect mix, mix of travelling and uh, coaching. Lewis, you've been away abroad as well. In Aye, that's what I was going to say. See, it was, it was when I was still at college. It was funny you spoke about um, a lot of people going to do the coaching route and then end up being PE teachers, because that's kind of what happened to, to me and you, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Um, but when I was at college, doing my, I was doing sports coaching and sport development, and um, I went away with Challenger Sport. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that company, but... Um, yeah, that's I, what I went with too. Was it? I went with Canada. I went to Canada and... Um, you just coached at different summer camps each week. They gave you a car and everything. It was absolutely tremendous. And um, they put you up in a hotel. Well, they put me up in a hotel in Toronto, like at the weekend. And then you would get like your itinerary for the week and you would get told where to go. And then you would go to another camp and you just work with top, like a variety of different age groups and different abilities. And then um, you'd stay with different families. And it was just such an amazing experience. And it's just contacts that I've still got to this day and that was like 2016 I think I went and did it and it was great yes it's a brilliant experience isn't it Mm -hmm. that's one of those as well like you guys obviously went in the PE PE teaching is a much more sort of respected profession outside the professional game and that's kind of why everyone's hand went up on the first day so it's Mm -hmm. it's important for that's why I like doing things like this now to try and shed light that you can have a career in sport and coaching and people kind of are starting to see that a lot more on social media whereas it wasn't as visible before Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I'm trying to shed some light on. Do you feel like the opportunities are um, bigger abroad in like America and Canada and stuff for coaching? Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing because when you're in the UK, you don't really see, like in Northern Ireland, I didn't see many opportunities because my network was within Northern Ireland. But as soon as I start traveling, like there are so many opportunities out there. But it's only kind of when you leave your comfort zone and you search for these things that you realize what's available. And mm-hmm. now like I've worked in 11 countries, so I've got networks all around the world which create opportunities for me all the time like yeah. even when covid hit i'd already been in new zealand before and i went and stayed with someone i coached and helped before for six months mm-hmm. and it's just kind of it opens your eyes to the possibilities yeah. and then also in terms of getting to a good level as well like three of my mates well four four of my mates including myself went from grassroots clubs in china to professional clubs and we would never have been able to make that jump from home it's only because we got our feet on the ground we got to know people 
we built a reputation, developed connections with people, and then opportunities started to, to arise. Whereas if we had to stay back home in our own countries, like we wouldn't have been aware of these opportunities, no one would have known who we are. So it's, it's basically about planting nets in as many different countries as you can, because that will increase opportunities for you. Also mm -hmm. learning, but then also career opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, networking is really important, isn't it? It opens up so many doors. Uh, we, we went to Brazil in 2014 to the World Cup and we've done a couple of club visits as well in the south of Brazil and one in Argentina at uh, Independiente, the club there. And we, we still speak to the, the guy in Brazil just now who's at one of the clubs there and he's always asking us to go back over. It wasn't a job we had, it was just like a, a club visit and we took some sessions and stuff like that with the, young, the younger players and it was brilliant. Yeah, well, I bet that must be an amazing experience because the, the developmental model in Brazil is so different in terms of the unstructured play and things. Whereas yeah. in the UK, things are a lot more structured with like mm. academies and getting them into organised football very young. Whereas it's yeah, very different yeah. in Brazil. Definitely, no, it was a, an eye opener for us. Um, so you've travelled around the eleven countries. Um, who would you say you've had the biggest impact, or who do you feel you've had the biggest impact? Would it be one to one coaching, or was there any teams that you feel as if you've really developed? Well, for me, that's that's an easy, easy question because Thailand, Bati, there's two, there's two countries. So for me personally, in terms of making the impact, Thailand. But I'll start with Malawi. So there's a there's an academy there called Ascent Soccer, and they've recently linked up with an academy in Uganda. So they're recruiting players in Uganda and Malawi. And essentially, what they do is they do scouting all around these countries. They find the best players. They bring them in. They give them an education, they give them food, they give them football boots. So they're literally changing these kids' lives. So the objective for them is because the education system in Malawi, not many kids graduate from high school. Because I went into a school and there's a hundred kids sitting on the floor. Very few of them have pen and paper because the school can't afford to provide that for them. So most kids don't graduate. So what Chigoli, well, they, they were called Chigoli back then, they're now called Ascent, Ascent Soccer. So what they do is they bring them in, they get their education up to a certain level, and then they try and send them to America to get scholarships and things. So they've been able to do that recently. So they're literally changing these kids' lives. Like we asked, we asked them after a trial how they felt it went. And the kid said through a translator, like, I felt really heavy. And we were like, what were you talking about? It's like, they'd never played in football boots before. They'd never been fed before playing. They'd never played on grass. They'd never left their hometowns. So like missions like Ascent are literally changing the lives of these kids and it's, it's absolutely incredible. And it's kind mm -hmm. of following on from the work that Right to Dream have done in Ghana. But they've done incredible work. They've sent club, like they're getting players signed by professional clubs going over to America. And they've taken over a club in Denmark now. So they send the African players over to Denmark to kind of raise them within that. So that was a real, I wasn't there for very long, so I can't take any credit for that in terms of impact, but like seeing the impact that organization have, is having is absolutely incredible. It also, then, I'm just saying, it makes you think how many like players in countries like, or continents like Africa, can, uh, the talent goes unnoticed. Like there must be so many amazing footballers. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I went to a place called Lake Senga and it's, like it's, it's called Senga Bay, so it's like Lake Malawi at Senga Bay. So what it is is like these kids. I went out and there's they were just playing. They'd have to blow up like plastic bags and things because or put loads of plastic bags together because they couldn't afford footballs. And even if you gave them footballs, the surface was so bad, the terrain was so bad that the balls would get wrecked really quickly. But I took a picture of this kid like striking the ball, and his technique was like picture perfect. 
Mm-hmm. He'd never had a coach before in his entire life. He just sort of learnt this himself by playing with his mates. And it was just great to see that real <laughs> unstructured environment. It was so natural. That's yeah, it just, just shows you how there's probably a lot of potential there. It's just trying to find it as well and giving them the opportunity, which I'm sure the programme is doing anyway. Yeah, well, so the pathways are the biggest problem because you get a lot yeah. of people that get taken advantage of by agents. So there's families sell their homes, sell land to give this money to an agent. They take them to Europe and then they get to Europe and there's no club or anything. And then they end up getting all sorts of bad, bad situations. So it's, it's horrible, but it's great whenever there's organizations like this to have reputations that are doing the right by the kids. And that's because there is so much untapped talent there, which is mm-hmm. going to waste at the minute. So organizations like this, especially in East Africa, because right to dream are in West Africa. And there's a player from East Africa, maybe Ethiopia or something in the Premier League. So hopefully more players from East Africa will start making it into professional football and people will start investing more in Ascent because obviously for these type of organisations, it's very hard to find the funding. And hopefully they'll continue to grow because the work they're doing is absolutely incredible. It's unparalleled compared to other academies around the world. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you spoke about the Premier League, but we've came so far into the podcast and even off, off recording, we've not really spoke about what team you support. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Liverpool man, but Liverpool the time man. differences and things, I don't watch just football as much as I used to. Like back in the day, I would watch every single game, would have known everything, watched every World Cup match. Whereas since I've started coaching abroad, I haven't, I'm not keeping in touch with football as much. I'd more so watch the Thai league and things now, which is sort of my yeah. local, local football. But yeah, what about yourselves? Who do you guys support? Uh, Rangers for me, Rangers as okay, well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I went to I went to Ibrox a couple of times to watch the Champions League back in the day against like Valencia versus Spore and mm-hmm. United. Oh, that's right. I remember that that group stage. I think it was the last one. I think that was the last one we were in actually. Yeah. A while ago, <laughs> a long time out yeah. the, the Champions League, but um, hopefully we'll be back soon. So, what what's your coaching philosophy and values and beliefs then, uh, Blaine? And how do you transfer this onto the players and get them to perform to their optimal level? Yeah, well, the key thing for me in terms of that would be looking at individuals, so putting them at the at the centre of the process. So looking at what their individual needs are, assessing their personality, like how do they score in the big five? Are they highly emotional? Are they open? So trying to get an understanding of who they are as a person and then looking at kind of what their aspirations are. So the most important question we can probably ask as coaches, like, what are you doing here? What do you want to achieve? Because then once you tap into what their motivation is, they want to just come here to have fun. Do they want to become professional footballers? So once we understand more about the participants in front of us, that gives us more information to interact, the decisions we make, what kind of feedback we give to them. So that's kind of key. And then understanding what their story is, because everyone has a different background as well. So what's their story? Where have they come from? What's their family background? And then trying to find out as much information about that from friends, from themselves, from parents as well. So finding these discussions, so that can help us cater for the needs of the individual. And then building on that, things like creativity. So that's quite quite a big part of it. So creating a safe environment where they, psychologically safe, where they know that no matter what they do, if they're trying their best, if they're trying things, they'll never get screamed at for making a mistake. Because so many times, especially on my travels, what you see is, coaches setting up teams to win games and if they take risks if they show any creativity they get screamed at right away and 
Like the biggest example of that for me was in China because players didn't want to take risks. Not many players wanted to pass forward in case they lost the ball because from the side of the pitch, they'd be getting screamed at. So for me, that's a, that's a pretty big one. So giving them the freedom to go and express themselves and play, play from the back or play the right pass, whatever, whatever that is. And then also trying to give them sort of ownership of the process as well. So if you're making any decisions in terms of if you want to play a certain type of passing game, you might give them the decision they can play their favourite type, working on a certain objective, or you can develop a leadership group within the session as well. So certain ones that, like in Thailand, what we use is the older players, they'd help set up and organise the younger players as well. They'd make decisions and help tidy up the equipment. They'd be given additional responsibility. And I suppose another key thing as well is trying to make it, make it enjoyable, make it fun, because you want to spark a lifelong participation in sport. And if they're not enjoying the process, because they have to have that intrinsic within them, because they come to you maybe a couple of times a week, not even, and you only have them for such a small amount of time, or you give them that love for the game, they'll play more by themselves, they'll make the right decisions off the pitch. So that's a key, key thing as well, and also helping them kind of self-regulate themselves. So as a coach, sometimes you have a group of 16 players and things, you can't fix everything you see. So it's important that you give them the tools to kind of self-reflect and think in the moment what they can do to try and improve and then also trying to have a positive influence in the people around them as well in terms of like today, some of the kids in the session are being quite negative towards each other. So you kind of bring them in and say, okay, is that helping? How can you communicate effectively to help the people around you, which can kind of help the team grow as well and make, make you more impactful as a player. So you're impacting people around you and then also for your individual quality, you're trying to impact the game as well. So those are a few kind of ideas and, and we work see when, from. And sorry, see when you do that, when you bring them in there and you speak to them about how the negatives they're being and how they're moaning and making excuses. Yeah. How, like, how, do, they, how do they react to that? Because sometimes you do that here and, you know, you get uh, people moaning still and it just sometimes doesn't have that impact. What's the attitude like? The, the blame game. They always, yeah. they always blame blame game, yeah. Yeah, well, it's one of those. It depends on the individual. So that comes back to the starting point of knowing who you're working with because you know you can have certain types of conversations with certain individuals and then some you might want to pull to the side and have a chat about it. Yeah. Like if some players who are like highly emotional, they'll be a bit more, they'll be a bit more negative sometimes. Their body language won't be so good. So what you got to do is kind of link it to professional role models. So if they're favorite, ask who their favorite player is, that's another idea of knowing the individual, link it to them, what's their behavior like in this moment. And then also a lot of them aren't, they don't have that emotional intelligence yet of understanding of what their impact has on other people. Like if you say, if someone says this to you, how would that make you feel? It's kind of understanding those feelings as well, making them aware that their body language and what they say has an impact on other people. And then the mm. outcome of that has a negative impact on the team as well. So you kind of go full circle in terms of getting the role models. How does your role model behave? And then seeing what impact you can have and how it's impacting the individuals around you. And sometimes developing that awareness can help, but like communication is a skill. So you want to get kids talking to each other, but you want to try and get them saying the right things in terms of encouraging them or giving them information that's kind of actionable in the next moment. But that's easier said than done from some groups, but some will pick it up and put that into practice. I think that's so important what you said about, like obviously you've got different types of personalities and you need to respond differently to, to each individual. And I think sometimes we kids or pupils in our case that are highly emotional, like they get really angry and they just, their judgment's totally clouded in the heat of the moment. I think it's just even letting them calm down and even speaking to them at a different time and just trying to get them to reflect on it so that they can think about it. Because that happens to me quite a lot where I have to speak to people like the next day or something 
and get them to think back to the day before and the difference in their answer or their reflection from the moment um, as opposed to the, the next day when they've had a chance to calm down and collect themselves is completely different and they can totally reason with you and understand your thinking as well as how their behaviour and that can sometimes impact the others about them if they're being really um, critical or negative towards other people in their team and stuff like that. So I think that's important as well. Yeah, well, it was one of the things like they, especially younger people, they can't rationalise how they're feeling mm-hmm. and they can't rationalise things and that comes with time. They build things up like I used to work with international gymnasts and going into a competition, they think this is the biggest thing in the world. The world will collapse around them if they don't perform well. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, they're still going to go home to their family who loves them. They're very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Just kind of putting things in the perspective, rationalizing. Yeah, absolutely. And also in the heat of the moment, just taking them out of the group. Just take them in, out, breathe, think about what's going on, have a quick chat with them. Even like, I remember one time in Singapore, like this kid was having a full emotional breakdown and he was, he was quite young. And I went over and started talking to him. And we ended up start, started talking about a treehouse. And as soon as we started talking about his treehouse, he was going to go and live in Indonesia. I think it was like Bali or somewhere. And he was so excited because the house had a treehouse. And then as soon as we had this conversation, because sometimes I just need you to listen to them as well. And you don't necessarily need some sort of mental skills or strategy, just showing you care. And that can make mm. a difference. So again, it comes back to that individual, knowing the individual and how to get the best from them. And it's always easier said than done, especially in your guys' environment within PE classes. Yeah. Not all the people are motivated to be there. It's not always it's not always the easiest environment. Yeah. Yeah, I think you made some good points. So, uh, like, when you're teaching a lesson in PE, you need to teach almost 30 different lessons because, as you said, you need to get to know the individual and what, what works for them. Uh, as a as a tough job, but as you said, Lewis, as well, you need to respond over time. It doesn't always need to be dealt with in the moment. You need to maybe let them cool off and then go back to it the next day or at the end of the period, maybe, at the end of the lesson. And I'm sure that's the same for you, Blaine. Uh, yeah. I, liked what you said, I liked what you said about the creativity as well um, and not punishing them for for trying to show imagination and doing things maybe a bit different. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, because in certain countries I've been in, it's kind of the the ego of the coach kills the talent because they want to win games. And even in some countries you go to, like in Thailand, youth tournaments, there's massive financial rewards on the line for winning tournaments. So coaches are pulling kids from everywhere to kind of win games. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not an ideal environment to be developing players and giving that kind of creativity and freedom and then helping them Obviously, if they keep making mistakes over and over again, then you might have an intervention in terms of helping them. Okay, what might you do next time? But it's about us giving them more understanding of the game. And then once they've built up that framework of understanding, then they can self-reflect a bit more on how they're performing. Yeah, there's so many similarities to your job to a PE teacher. Like Everything you were saying there is stuff that we have to try and make sure that we do as well. Like When you're saying making it enjoyable so they come back for more, that's, that's the role of our job as well, is to make sure that they have lifelong participation as well. So definitely a lot of similarities between coaching and teaching. Yeah, well, that's the key because you want to keep them in sport long-term, whether it's as a professional player, a recreational player, a coach, or helping out as a volunteer at a club. If you spark that passion, the more people we have, the greater we can make the game. So that's, that's a key thing as well. And also for like health, physical activity, because that's mm-hmm. a massive problem with obesity levels and things. So if you can give them enjoyment through what they're doing and not punish them with physical activity, which is what happens quite a lot. I see that yeah. quite a bit. So mm-hmm. giving them positive thoughts when they think of physical activity and sport and exercise, that's only a good thing long-term. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah the old classic, um, if you do something wrong, you're doing extra running. You have to do laps. That's not yeah. a good thing, is it? Punish them. No, that's, that's, 
I've seen some clubs try and change that. I can't remember a guy posted on Twitter a while ago that he gets the winning team to do extra sprints because that's their reward to make them stronger and fitter. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's quite a nice, nice way of looking at it. Uh, isn't it kind of reverse psychology almost, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right, so, Blaine, you spoke there a lot about your coaching philosophy, how you try and kind of promote autonomy and creativity and stuff like that within your players. See, with regards to like mindset, so away from like the physical side of it, with regards to like mindset strategies of that, do you have any that you use um, to kind of try and motivate your players? Yeah, well, for me, this is the biggest area that coaches need assistance with because you go on coaching courses and things and it's very heavy on the technical and tactical aspects. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems with sports psychology and sport is there's sports psychology and sport, there's still a stigma attached to it. So... And the problem for that is lack of exposure to it. And it's also not as easy to quantify as other ones. Mm-hmm. So if you have psychology embedded from a program right from when they're young, they understand the importance of it. But most people haven't had that when they're young. So they get the first team level and they kind of think that sports psychology, I have never used it before. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know how it's going to help me. And there's lots of case studies of the likes of Raheem Sterling thinking sports psychology is not for him. And then he went and saw Dr. Steve Peters and he realized what it looks like, how it's going to help him. So that's the key thing. So making it, embedding it from a young age and then some of the strategies you can use, like you can have goal settings, you can sit them down, which kind of stems back to the personality thing as well. Like why are you here? What do you want to achieve? And it kind of works at all levels within the game. And then once they understand why they're there, okay, what are the actions? What does it look like if you want to achieve the outcome? And then kind of Mm. break it down as well. Because a lot of people have values and goals and things, but then what are those actions looking like in practice? Mm-hmm. and then also some people have them within a team framework like this is the behavioral framework we work off we do this we do that but then it doesn't account for the individuals in front of them who have different personalities like some players aren't comfortable speaking in front of the group mm-hmm. and then getting them to do that might raise their anxiety to a certain level which might have a detrimental effect on their performance and their development yeah. so it's about giving kind of what they want if if they're extroverts and they like speaking in front of the group give them mm-hmm. responsibilities if they aren't then kind of give them individual tasks that they can do work within themselves so those kind of things as well and then also in New Zealand what we did was during COVID it was quite a good period for me in terms of it gave me a lot of time to develop content so we developed I developed a model basically with like 12 concepts we delivered workshops on them there's kind of a workbook with tasks they fill in which kind of the key starting point is developing awareness because they haven't had this from a young age it's not something that's taught in school it's not something that's taught on many basically anything a kid comes across it's not really been taught so the first starting point is helping them develop awareness because they're not aware of certain skills like like i was talking to a professional footballer and he he asked me like should i use self-talk and i said sort of everyone uses self-talk like everyone has internal thoughts everyone has internal chats they have with themselves and if you're not aware of what it is if you're not linking it to your goals then you're kind of just winging it you're letting you're basically, you're basically just winging it. You're not in control of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're not linking it. You're not actioning what you can put in the practice to link your self-talk to your actions, which will bring about better better performances. But it's just basically a lack of awareness, a lack of exposure to it. Mm-hmm. Aye, absolutely. And what? How, how big are you on sort of like kind of one-to-one player management with your, with your young players and that, like getting up and having like a quiet word with them and trying to encourage them that way? How important do you think that is? Yeah, well, when I was in New Zealand, what we do is we set up quite early. We set up the session and the kids would turn up like 30 minutes before. So that's a great moment to check in with individuals. Mm-hmm. So you'd be asking them, like, what's your objective for this training session? What are you working on? How was school today? Yeah. It's also an important one for assessing the mood mm-hmm. of the group. 
So that's, that's really important because if you can get that on and help them understand mood and help them influence each other's mood, then you have more energy going into the session as well. So it's, it's important to identify these things. And then also you're showing that you care for the individuals, develop that connection, like what team do you support, all these kind of different things that yeah. show you care about them. Because you can go in and start trying to impart knowledge of people, but if you don't know their name, if you don't know who they are, where they're coming from, mm. then it really limits the kind of impact your feedback yeah. and communication can have with them. And that's a kind of common theme that's kind of came through the majority of our podcasts. Even when we've been speaking to lecturers and teachers, they say that like relationships are just at the kind of forefront of everything. So having that, showing that you actually care about the, the people that you are helping, coaching, teaching, whatever it is. Um, and then that's just, that's the most important bit then to go and impart your knowledge and actually help them learn and become better at whatever yes. it is you're trying to teach them. Similar what Blaine said earlier about getting to know even their family, like that's something Sir Alta Ferguson was big on, wasn't it? He knew everything about their wives, their you know, their kids as well, and that was a kind of topic of conversation about how they were getting on as well. It's massive, isn't it? Like the environment you're brought up in, it's the air you breathe, it's like as soon as we're born, we're copying the behaviour of our parents. So if you can understand who their parents are, what their backgrounds are, then it can give you a bit of understanding of what, type of what type of individual. Yeah, I guess it just shows that you care, really, ultimately, and you're taking a a real interest in how they're getting on, but also their family. Um, it's a motivation as well for them. Yeah, because we all have that. We all have those people that we want to listen to and we want to learn from. And we all yeah. also have those people that aren't so warm towards us. We maybe might not listen to them so much. So it's just basically getting them to listen and engage with what you're doing and buy into it. And the better connection you have, then the easier that's going to be. So you just going back onto the coaching side of things, do you see a lot of coaches delivering whole sessions but not really working with individuals? Do you, do you see that a lot? They just set up a session and as long as the drill's running properly, then they're happy? Yeah, because they're thinking about the weekend. They want everything to go seamlessly at the weekend in terms of how the team's performing, but then they don't account for the individuals within that. And that's a, that's a massive thing. Yeah. And there's a great quote by Johan Cruyff, even at professional football, saying that teams don't make debuts, like first-team debuts, individuals do. Mm-hmm. I thought that was quite... Yeah, that's, that's good. quite a good one. So, um, Blaine, what are your, you've kind of touched on it a lot there within the last kind of few questions, but if you had to kind of bullet point then, what are your absolute must include in every coaching session that are kind of important for your delivery? Okay, so the starting point is getting set up nice and mm-hmm. early. So then even before the session, you can check in individuals, because we spoke about the mood and things, if you can assess those things and it kind of, you can bring them in before the start and have a chat with them to kind of frame things in a certain way to bring about the best response. Like they might be overconfident after a game at the weekend or they might be feeling down and then they might have had a tough day at school. So kind of getting set up nice and early so the players arrive and they see everything set up, it looks good and then checking in individuals. So that's kind of the starting on the right foot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then within a session, the kind of things we're looking for, lots of actions. So to spend as much time on task as possible so everything kind of flows within the session so you're not having to pick up all the cones then put them down in different places so you kind of start in a small box you pick up four cones it builds into a big box yeah and then also from the coach as well so having plenty of enthusiasm making things lively interactions with individuals and then only stop in the group if you have to so try and check in on individuals and try and give individual feedback sometimes you might not need to stop the whole group depending on how it's going and kind of things things like that so yeah, that's kind of what. Um, what is your kind of thoughts on like drills based practices versus kind of game based practices? Kind of how 
how much would you shape your sessions kind of round about that side of things? Do you do you focus a lot on drills or do you always try and put them in a kind of competitive environment? No, we always want to try and make it a competitive environment if you can. It obviously depends on the needs of the group. So if you're working with younger players who aren't technically as competent, they might need more repetitions of actions. So mm-hmm. instead of having an opponent they're against, there might be a bit of interference where they're dribbling within the same grid with other people. So kind of everyone's on a ball. Yeah. And you might get them in twos, passing through the gate, trying to find a, trying to find where the free gate is to dribble and then pass through. So there's, there's different ways you can do it. And there's different needs in terms of the age and level that you're working with. Mm. So obviously with older players, you are more so technically competent. You can still do 1v1s, 2v2s and things, but you can have it a lot more opposed. But it just depends, again, on the, on the needs of the group. And then giving them that appropriate challenge within the session as well. Mm. And giving, them, giving them success because you don't want to make things too difficult so they're not getting any success. So yeah. they might not want to try certain things in games. And then you also want to give them the appropriate level of challenge because that then comes back to motivation as well. Mm. You're catering the challenge to the needs of individuals. And that's difficult within the group, even for you guys as well as PE teachers, like the sort of the differentiation. How can you get everyone in the optimal zone of challenge throughout your session? It's, that's a it's, it's, it's so tough what then so you've obviously you say you've, you've worked in plenty of countries you must have worked with hundreds of different players and abilities what kind of traits are kind of commonplace within the most successful young players you've worked with then um it's a good it's a good question it's really interesting New Zealand because when we when we came back after covid there was these two kids and they were absolutely hammering the ball like when we talk about finesse and things, you can say use the inside of the foot, guide the ball. But these guys were striking the ball with their laces as hard as they can and was going the target top corners every time. And the reason for that was during lockdown, every single day they went out and just striking ball after ball. And they had that passion within them. It was kind of internalized that they had that curiosity of how to get better when the coach is talking. They wanted to listen because they wanted to learn and try and better themselves. So kind of that, that passion is the starting point of having it internalized and Mm-hmm. And what else have they got? So curiosity, so wanting to listen and learn. Resilience is a key thing as well, and that's, that's a difficulty because a lot of kids can't go through school and things and they don't suffer too many setbacks. Kind of everyone passes, everyone gets a medal for taking part. So they, obviously the ones that have resilience, they're able to progress further in the game. So if they get released by a club, they go down, they're able to come back up again. They have that kind of bounce back ability and that's not... A lot of kids have that. Not as many kids have that nowadays. Like in Thailand, they had it because from a young age, they're kind of a bit more independent. They're on the streets. They're having to look after themselves. They're having to deal with setbacks. They don't have so much. Whereas kids in certain environments where they're comfortable, it's not a natural environment to sort of learn life skills. It's not a natural environment to develop resilience because everything's kind of done for them. It's kind of catered to them. So no, it's yeah, those are kind actually. of the ideas. Just same in Brazil, wasn't it? They're quite strong-minded there. Was it? It was Argentina. Uh, it was Argentina. The, similar to what you said in um, Africa, like the, the the clubs gave these kids like food for the week, like rationing packs, in return for those kids to go and play at that club. I think was it Independiente. Aye, and what was wasn't it? And the the coaches yeah, Aguero, there. Aguero was developed there. Yeah, Sergio Aguero. Now the coaches were saying that the the kids literally all they do is kick a ball about. That that's all they. That's their hope of a better life. So that's all they are focusing on, really. And um, they literally have next to nothing. So uh, you can imagine these kids will be a lot more resilient. Because over where we are, we've just got such an abundance of opportunities. And you can uh, can choose from a lot of things. You've got a lot more on your plate. 
Yeah, well, it's that goal focus, isn't it? They got a clear goal of exactly what they want to achieve, and the consequences for not achieving that goal are basically mm-hmm. they're stem where they are. They haven't got many opportunities. Whereas mm-hmm. kids that come from a more comfortable environment, even if they don't succeed in certain things, they'll still have their parents to fall back on. They'll probably go into the same careers as their parents, kind of thing. So it's not it's not all or nothing like it is in certain environments, which brings about different a lot of differences, positive and negative as well. Mm-hmm. I think the environments. Oh, sorry, the financial rewards also motivate as well in these countries because they can make a living that can then support their, their family as well in the long term. Yeah, it completely change their lives. And when you have something that's going to change, literally change your life, think how driven you're going to be going to achieve yeah. that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right, Blaine, last question of the, the kind of main part of the interview then. In your opinion, what do you think makes a high-quality coach? I suppose it's kind of the same again as the players, having that, that passion for what you're doing, kind of doing it for the right reasons, not doing it to kind of just make your ego look, make yourself look good or have your ego winning games and things. If you're passionate about helping people get better, mm-hmm. then that's a key thing that's going to drive you every day because like, coaching is a really difficult profession. No yeah. matter what you do, you're not going to make everyone happy. So you've got to have a kind of a clear vision of exactly what you want. Yeah. And with that as well. So you have your clear vision, but then you're also open-minded to understand that over time sort of things things change. So being open-minded to take other ideas on board, but I heard a great quote in New Zealand and it's like, be open-minded, but then not so open-minded that your mind, fa- your mind falls out. So it's important that you are open-minded and take other ideas on board, sort of adapt it and then take it on and use mm-hmm. it yourself. Because what a lot of people do is they copy what Pep and Diego Simeone are doing or they copy sessions online and they just copy it in practice and it's a completely different context. So kind of look at, learn, be open-minded, learn about different things, adapt it and bring it into your, into your context. And even basic things like communication, that's not something that's covered enough of coaches because if you're not a very good communicator, that's going to cause a lot of anxiety for the people around you because they don't know exactly what's required. Whereas you have clear communication, everyone understands where they, everyone knows where they stand everyone knows exactly what to do going into the next game that's going to help you prepare and give you confidence because you know exactly exactly what it is and also as well like we all know lifelong learners so the day you think you can know everything that's when the the game's kind of up for you because everything's sort of changing and adapting and then also reflection is a massive thing for me because that's the thing that's brought about the biggest the biggest difference like when I was at university every single session I did I'd write a full A4 page and reflections of what I was doing how I can make it better because two years of experience for one coach isn't two years of experience for another one if you're reflecting on every single experience you have within those two years you're developing whereas if you've just done the same thing for the past two years you deliver that session you don't think about it after so then you go and deliver the exact same session next time you're standing still and also that's impacted upon your players and things Mm-hmm. And also stemming back from kind of the things we we're speaking about before about connections with individuals and relationships and connecting people to a common vision or a common goal. That's kind of some of the key things that are important in coaching. Yeah, I think that um, that self reflections are a massive part of it. So there's been that that was absolutely hammered into us at university. So after after we delivered a lesson, we had to go through this process. There was just so many different questions we had to go through. And reflecting, it was just really good practice and good habits to get into. As arduous and time-consuming as it was, it did actually, it did help. And then you can start to kind of almost do it in your head as well. After each lesson, you just subconsciously do it. 
because you know where you've went wrong exactly and then kind of what to do for the next time. And even just sometimes taking it down, like kind of bullet point format or just taking a wee note of it so that you remember. Because sometimes, mm-hmm. obviously, different with coaching, because if you're going to coach one session, then you can reflect fully on that session before the next again week or whatever. But it's that, I think that's where the challenge is with teaching because you've got, you're straight into another lesson and then before you know it, you forgot about the last one. So it's just trying to have a wee system in place that you can reflect so that you can make it that bit better for the next Yeah, well, that's, that's really difficult. Because the key thing is you need an action plan with that because you can take yeah. notes and notes and notes, but you have to have sort of key points that you're going to put in the practice yeah. in that Absolutely. session. That's also the same in note-taking as well. When you're learning about anything, kind of only take the stuff. I've got two different notes on my phone. One's for like actions that I can use right away, and then another one's kind of for like theoretical stuff. So it's mm. kind of linking the information so then you can use it in your next in your next practice. I think the biggest quality for me is, as you said, like continually learning all the time and being curious to to learn new things and always being a, a willing learner that was something that was brought up in another podcast that we've done but I, I see you're into quotes Blaine so I, I, I came across a quote this morning when I was typing up another script which I thought you might like so the coach is the one who gets the most out of the session and the true coach is the learner so I came across that yeah, this morning I thought I'd share that with you Right. It's vital and it's also for us as well. Like we're talking about all these things, but then also if we're modeling these things ourselves, like what impact that's having on the people right. around us. So if you can be honest at the end of a session and reflect on something and say, I could have done this better today or I did this well, then that kind of shows kids something to think. Because I was asking yeah. some today, like, what did you do well in the session? And they, some of them don't really know sometimes, because especially in, even when I was in New Zealand as well, they're all quite modest. So you ask them what their strengths and things are, they don't really. They don't really know so if, mm-hmm. if we're kind of modeling about learning and self-reflection and things that these kind of things are going to rub off on the players as well so i think that's really important is that a really important strategy for teaching as well mm-hmm. right uh blame we're moving on to the quick fire round of three we do this do this with all our guests um generally short sharp answers just to finish us off uh so if you could have a billboard anywhere what would it say on it Oh, that's, a, that's a lot of pressure on the billboard somewhere. Hopefully I'll never, I'll never have to deal with that kind of pressure. Um, I think something along the lines of like spread positivity, do, some, do a nice deed for someone else today because then that hopefully spread across the country and it'll, other people will be doing nice things for other people. That's kind of something that might be, might be a nice thing. Yeah, that's a dream, isn't it? Power of kindness. Yeah. So, which book or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Oh, that's, a, that's a difficult question because if you kind of see my my bookshelf at home, it's, there's so many books on there, so and there's so many great authors and things. I think it'll be a bit harsh to kind of single single out one, but like alongside books and things, like so many research journals during my time at university had a big impact. Like I went to university to study a PhD on life skills, and like the motivational climate of the All Blacks was quite quite a big one by Professor Ken Hodge. That was really really good for me and then there was a there's a life skills one recently which was was incredible and it just kind of helped me inform my practice of what I do with, with life skills which is such a massive a massive thing for me but on top of books like the real learning life is from having the people around you like family like learning to be a good person or basically watching my mum my mum's one of the greatest people in the world like she's my biggest idol she's incredible just the way she treats other people I've kind of learned from that trying to help other people and leave a sort of positive impact in the world trying to help other people and leave something behind in terms of a legacy so that's kind of 
Right. Not they're probably the answer you're looking for. Not very quick fire, but that's the uh, that's what you, that's what you're getting. <laughs> very, very inspiring, nonetheless. Um, finish, uh, finally, then, what advice would you give to a young coach who's looking to excel? I tweeted about this recently, which will probably give a much better and concise answer than I can right now. But um, something along the lines of like get as much experience as you can. So when I was younger, I coached all sorts of age groups. I coached kids that could barely walk. Even like three-year-old kindergarten students, which was absolutely madness. Five-year-olds, I've coached professional international level players, working with head coach of international teams to try and get as much experience at different levels as you can. And then, as we said before, reflect on those experiences as much as you can to try and take the most of them and develop an action plan, as we said, for improving next time. And one of the big things for me as well is set goals. Like I set myself a 10-year set of goals and I kind of was able to sort of achieve and exceed those. Because having that direction every day, knowing what you're working towards, if you don't know where you're going, then you're going to zigzag through life where you kind of know where you're going to go. You can kind of go in a much more, it won't, it'll never be direct, but you'll get there much sooner if you know every day you wake up what that direction's going to be. And yeah. also in terms of getting an experienced mentor, so you can go and observe sessions from someone else and then try and get them to watch your sessions if, if they can, or if not, kind of get feedback from players and other coaches and things around you so you can kind of keep developing from other people because a lot of us have blind spots which we're not aware of certain things whereas if we watch other people it might help us uncover blind spots like I worked with a coach in New Zealand and he was insane he wanted me to nail him on feedback like he wanted me to be this super critical because that will help him get better faster whereas a lot of people don't necessarily want that criticism because mm. it affects kind of their self self-esteem and things so yeah, and developing a support network around you as well, because like coaching can be a very lonely existence sometimes, especially as a coach abroad. Like I spend a lot of time alone, so it's important to try and get good people around you, so the help support you socially, but also a good network before in terms of in different countries or even within your wherever you're living to try and create more opportunities. And that's kind of a kind of a key thing for that, because coaching a lot of times about who you know. Like I helped an A license. Well. I helped a physio at a professional club in Thailand with his A license and I kind of didn't ask for anything in return. One year later, he recommended the first team staff hire me as academy director. That job wasn't advertised. And even that coach I was talking about, I went every night in New Zealand. It was freezing. I was standing outside the pitch taking notes, giving him feedback. And I wasn't expecting, I didn't know who he was, but this guy had developed an app that's used by professional clubs all around the world. And when COVID hit, he said, you can come and stay with me. And I went to live with him just because I was helping him. I didn't know who he was. Just basically what I said before, I help other people and then kind of good things will happen. That's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it's just about opening yourself up because the more you open yourself up, then you'll improve, improve faster. Then also being strong-minded within yourself to kind of have that vision of what, it, what you believe it takes while taking on other ideas and adapting them. But hopefully that, was, that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely magnificent. Wow, there we go. Uh, there's some advice for any young coaches or teachers out there who are looking to be better every day. So thanks very much, Blaine, for coming on to the podcast. We hope this uh, helps current teachers across the country and the next generation of teachers with the knowledge that you've shared with us. Thanks very much. No, thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. I've enjoyed the chat because I'm in Phuket at the minute. It's, it's raining down outside, so I've not got much else going on, but thank you. <laughs> Mr. Cleland, a magnificent podcast again to add to our uh, episodes. I thought he had a wealth of experience, as you say, across the, the world in different countries, coaching and working with different age groups and you know, ultimately looking to develop them not only as football players but as people as well.
So what would your key takeaway message be in amongst all that? My key takeaway message there from today's episode with Blaine would be the kind of importance that he places on networking and helping other people. And that's had such a profound impact in my life as well from traveling and from working abroad and things like that, the connections that I've made and the kind of opportunities that that's created for me. But that was a, a clear example of how important broadening your network out with your own kind of town and country is to, to create opportunities for, for work. Um, and not only for work as well, for places to stay if you ever need if you ever need somewhere to stay if you're in another country. And um, the example he gave was helping out with that. It was in, in New Zealand, he was helping out with a coach and he was going out and um, giving him feedback on his sessions. And he didn't expect anything in return. And later on down the line, he gave him a place to stay when he was over in New Zealand. And these things just kind of come back full circle and help you out. You know, do good yeah, some, some and get, get, get good back. Absolutely. Similar when we had the opportunity to go to Brazil and we stayed in the accommodation with the young players in the recreate when we were staying, remember we had lunch and dinner and that with the families. Yeah. Um, and you were obviously there as well, Elliot. So no, it was just shows you how fortunate you can be when you meet Carlos, mm-hmm. guys like that in Brazil and you get to sit around the table and Aye, so no, that was mine. Um, I thought that was really, really striking. Just broaden your net. Which I think he says, place a net in every place you go, and then um, that creates a lot of opportunities in that for you. And that kind of goes without saying. But I thought his examples and what he spoke about was was clear. So I thought that was a a really good takeaway message from today's episode, and one that kind of stuck with me. What about yourself? Uh, my key takeaway message would be try and get out there and work with work with different age groups and players and pupils at different development developmental stages like for a, I mean like a PE teacher I've been in a primary school working that's really developed my craft as well working with nursery kids all the way through to uh, <clears throat> you know PE students who are, are, are in the department just now so it's just about trying to give yourself as much experience as possible working with people at different stages of their uh, pathway because that can then develop your, you know, add more tools to your toolbox and it means when the time comes we are in a challenging circumstance, you, you've got more tools to draw on and hopefully get the job done. So, might as well be very, very simple today. Um, it would be really, get yourself out there, work with different age groups, work with people at different path and different stages of their pathway and that's going to make you more, a more of a complete teacher or a coach for, for Blaine's sake. So, that would, that would wrap it up nicely. Um, another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Um, it's been a great journey we've been on, Mr. Cleland, and we hope the listeners That's are that. enjoying it as much as we are. As always, if you can give us a share or a retweet on Twitter or Instagram, we would really appreciate your help to get the podcast out there so others can listen to it as well. Until next time, have a fantastic week. Take care of yourself, and we hope you enjoyed this episode.